Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, October 25th, 2012. You cannot believe that October is almost over. Whoa. (laughs) I am getting so old that the days just go by quicker. Every time you make a lap around the sun, the next lap just seems to, you know, go by just that much faster. Whee! Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Folks, listen, there are a lot of teachers um, on television, uh, Christian authors, uh, leaders uh, in it, with, within the visible church, their their agenda really doesn't have to do with expanding the kingdom of Christ. They're not altruistic in their endeavors. In fact, many of the folks out there um, who are some of the more popular folk, um, their agenda literally has to do with, well, Gaining prestige for themselves, um, having more influence upon other people. Uh, Their agenda may be to get their ideas to be the predominant ideas. And then there's a whole other group of folk out there who, you know, basically put on the facade of pastor or minister or whatever, and they're doing a show. They're putting on a show in order to basically convince you to write a check to their ministries so that um, so that they could become extremely wealthy. They and what they do is they they, they twist God's word like you wouldn't believe and play upon the, the basically the fears that we all commonly have uh, it, regarding life. For, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but <clears throat> living here. Um, on planet Earth, even if you live in the United States, it's just not all that easy. Um, things go wrong really quickly. It takes a lot of energy just to keep things organized, to keep things running smoothly. In fact, the default mode, if you just let you take your hands off stuff and stop putting thought and energy into it, 
they, they just crash. And, uh, and, and, you know, well, relationships go bad. I mean, people get illnesses that uh, are, are long-term or even fatal. Um, and, and then eventually we all die. Um, it, so if you've noticed that, you know, there, just, it's the, the common condition that we all have as a result of the consequences of our sin is that there's just a variety of things that, that basically disrupt our lives, take them off track, make them difficult, cause us to suffer. And what happens is there's a whole group of people out there who, uh, well, they're ready and waiting to capitalize off of you. Because the one thing that happens is is that if your life is going along generally at an okay pace, okay, you know, you, you graduated high school, you went to college, you made it through college, and you got yourself, uh, you know, a, a decent, you know, job out of college, and then you started climbing the corporate ladder, and you're, you're, you're meeting life with relative success, and all of a sudden, boom, something hits you, you know, maybe, um, maybe you've uh, been diagnosed with cancer, maybe, uh, you've had your marriage fall apart. Yeah, I mean, you just you know just list the whole types of things. So when when they, when things like this happen, generally what you're looking for in 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 a time of crisis, well, you're looking for solutions. And so uh, the the idea is is that you know there are a lot of people out there who are well. They're they're kind of like spiders. Um, that this kind of work with me here for a second. They've cast their web, and they know that you're going to come around looking when you're going to be you're going to be looking for answers, and uh, and they're going to attract you into their web with easy solutions, all in the name of God. I mean, and generally the solution has to do do with you. Well, listen, all you need to do is sow a sow a, um, a financial seed into my ministry and God will bless you. I mean, he'll take your, um, he'll take your illness away. He'll repair your relationships. I mean, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you're sitting there going, boy, you know, Chris, I know exactly what you're talking about. See, that's the thing is, is that, um, in this life, there are no easy solutions. There are the, the like zero easy. Nothing is really that easy to solve. When things break, they break hard. And in fact, all of this is a result of our sin. And think about it this way. The solution for our sin is that God became a man born of the Virgin Mary. And the solution was for him to live a sinless life and then die a brutal brutal, painful, wicked, horrible death on the cross for your sins. Oh, and then on the third day, rise again from the dead. So the ultimate solution for our problems, there was nothing easy about it. Um, (laughs) In fact, um, it was so difficult um, that God himself had to intervene and that no human being naturally descended of Adam and Eve um, is capable of saving themselves. That's how bad the situation is. So when somebody comes along in the name of God and says, oh, it's just real simple. Okay, God really wants to help you. Yeah, you know, he 
He's he he. In fact, he, you know his miracle power. Oh man, let me tell you how how great it is. I mean, are you you aware that God is so powerful that He created the uh, the universe and the earth and everything that you see in six days? Yeah, wow, He's really strong. And and, and you know God. I mean, do you remember the whole uh, ch- children of Israel coming out of Egypt thing and the whole Red Sea incident? Yeah. I mean, that just gives you a glimpse of just how powerful God is. And see, you know, God, he really, really, he's on your side. But, you know, um, yeah, see, the problem is, is that, well, God, yeah, um, he, he, he doesn't want you coming to him empty-handed. But don't worry, don't worry. You can write the check to me. No, just write the check to me and... And uh, and then God will, you know, he'll he'll let loose with a little of that superpower that he has, and he'll just make your problem go away like that. I mean, and then all it takes is a check, and and you know, as crass and horrible as this sounds, folks, um, I mean, you got to understand these charlatans make hundreds of millions of dollars every single year. I mean, I, I, I'm beginning to think that the, uh, the you know, the, the charlatan <clears throat> version of Christianity, and it's not Christianity at all, um, that uh, this is a multi-billion dollar industry when you take it, you know, when you take it in, in total, when you consider how much all these people are making. And folks, God's miracles cannot be bought. They cannot be bought. In fact, God insists that his grace, his mercy, his peace... All of these things are given freely as a gift by God. The gospel is 100% free. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10 says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, right? It, 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 it is all a gift, all right? So that nobody can boast. Nobody can boast. I mean, God's gifts are free. And what and the reason why Christians pay pastors and those who uh, who are engaging in outreach and preaching the gospel and stuff like that is because here on earth we still all have to pay our bills. But you should not be supporting ministers or ministries that basically are squandering your money and not preaching the gospel, or worse, taking your money under the pretense that. You know that God's going to unleash His power as soon as you, as soon as your check arrives in their bank account. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth at all. And what these people are doing, eventually, they're going to have to give an accounting for every single dollar that they have scammed out of people in the name of God, because uh, you know the, the the commandments are clear: you shall not. Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is a form of blasphemy. This is exactly what it means to take God's name in vain, to hijack his name, to twist his Bible under the pretense of basically, you know, you know, putting on some piety so that you can get somebody to write a check to you so that uh, you, you can, you know, so that God will unleash his miracle power. So, by the way, we're going to be li- listening to a gross and egregious example of this uh, very shortly here on Fighting for the Faith. We have another Rod Parsley update. And, I, I mean, it, it's breathtaking, his blasphemy. It's as if 
<laughs> well, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's as if he has no clue that he's actually going to have to stand before God and explain all of this. And that he's more than likely, unless God grants him repentance of what he's doing, he will end up in the hottest regions of hell. I mean, that's how horrible this is, how absolutely disgusting it is. And unfortunately, you got to understand this, is that a lot of pagans out there, okay, they're already dead in trespasses and sins and at war with God. And pagans collect excuses when it comes to um, not listening to Christians, not hearing the gospel and stuff like that. If you've ever spent time trying to share your faith with somebody, uh, with you know people in your neighborhood and your community or, or whatever, um, then you'll notice that from time to time you run across the person who basically says, "Oh, those Christians, they're so they're such charlatans. They're nothing but a bunch of money grubbing, you know, whatever." Right? And and the reason being is is that their only exposure to quote Christianity is well from TBN or things like this, and this isn't Christianity. And the fact that the church has basically decided to acquiesce. To say, well, you know, we got more important things to do, um, you know, and not warn people and not make it clear that that isn't Christianity. You know, as a result of it, there's just a lot of confusion out there. What I mean, what is Christianity now? Is it uh, is it the uh, the crazy lady with the purple hair on TBN telling you to send in your seed offering of a thousand dollars so that God will heal you? Or, you know, fix your marriage or whatever? Is that is that what Christianity is? Um, or is it the person who uh, attends a Roman Catholic church, prays the rosary, and and believes in visions of the Virgin Mary showing up all over the, you know, you know, all over the place in tacos and and on you know, stained glass, uh, not on stained glass, but on plate glass windows and on uh, mold stains on the back of refrigerators, you know, things like that. You know, what is what is Christianity? This is a fair question to ask, and I think the right answer, I think the right answer is Christianity is what Scripture says it is. Christianity believes, teaching, confesses what the New Testament says about Christianity. It's what the apostles taught. The gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins and was raised again on the third day, according to the Scriptures, First uh, Corinthians 15. Um, you know, so, you know, but the thing is, is that there's so much confusion out there. Um, the chances are that, um, if you're listening to fighting for the faith and you're fairly new to the program, then you're listening because somebody told you that you need to listen because what's being offered here are answers to questions and, um, and a refutation of, a lot of the really gross, egregious stuff that's masquerading as Christianity and uh, when it really isn't. Keep listening and have an open Bible. This is a program that you must have an open Bible to uh, to really participate in and grow from. And the reason being is this, is because anybody can say, God says, but it's a whole other thing to demonstrate that from the clear, written word of God. That's the thing that we go to. That's the place where we go to hear what God has revealed regarding himself, what his will is for us, how we're saved, what's our problem, what's the solution, and you know how are we to move forward in all of that. The, those are the answers that we're looking for. And you will find that 
when you begin to understand what the scriptures truly teach regarding our condition, the solution that God uh, gave us, the, the, the length by which he went to to save us, and uh, what the church has taught historically all the way from the beginning, you'll realize that Christianity really isn't all that hard to identify, define, and believe. But that the devil, because he is the great innovator, has come up with a thousand and one different distractions and heresies, all designed to ensnare you, to keep you from believing the truth, and to get your eyes off of your crucified and risen Savior and get them onto anything other than him, like yourself, your own kingdom that you're building for yourself, signs and wonders, miracles and, and the like. No, 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 no. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. First of all, I've got a brief uh, Patricia King update that we have got to get to today. Uh, one of the things we do here at Fighting for the Faith is um, is audience enhancement uh, for the folks over at XP Media. So I, what I mean by that is this, is that from time to time, apparently God the Holy Spirit has words that he needs to get out to particular people. And... Um, some of the folks at XP Media. In the past, it's been Melissa Fisher. We haven't seen a Melissa Fisher video in like a long time. Um, but uh, Patricia King has uh, you know, picked up the torch, and apparently God the Holy Spirit speaks to her on a regular basis. And she has a, a word. You know, it sounds like a, it's some good news. If if you are a woman who has a, a, a an herb garden in your kitchen, well, then this word's for you. But see, the thing is, is because there are like almost 7 billion people on the planet. Um, you know, we figured that, you know, with the few hundred people that are going to see this over at XP Media, we better add our, you know, our tens of thousands here at Fighting for the Faith and, you know, and help, you know, get the word out. I mean, because, you know, it's got to reach about 7 billion people to make just to ensure that it's going to hit its target. So um, Patricia King has a you know fantastic good news for somebody for, who's a woman with a, 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 a an herb garden in her kitchen. And uh, then we're going to listen to a money medley. Uh, yeah, Stevens Creek Church, um, they, they, um, they've got a big building project. You see these seeker-driven uh, churches, whew, most expensive way ever to try to do church. Most, I mean, yeah, listen, you, if you want to grow as a seeker-driven church, you've got to be on the cutting edge of innovation and entertainment and spectacle constantly. And so, I mean, it's a and, – and plus, you know, you, you've got – you know the HD cameras that you got to purchase, the high bandwidth websites so that uh, people can download the uh, the. And plus, then you got to have you know the latest and greatest auditoriums with all of the greatest amenities. I mean, I mean the last thing you want to ha- if you really are trying to be relevant, the last thing you would want is you know a church with wooden pews or, or or like you know an outdated, maybe ten years old auditorium that doesn't have all the latest and greatest bells and whistles. You know like. Um, you know, like the button that you can press to like warm the seats up or uh, the, you know, the, the cup holders for your Vente Mocha Latte uh, while you're enjoying, you know, you think the very important stuff. And, uh, and, and plus, you know, you, you need to set up, you know, the ability for people to have good cell reception so they can tweet out during a church service. So, I mean, listen, that seeker driven, um, uh, you know, version of doing church very, very tens of millions of dollars a year, and uh, and so uh, if you remember back, oh man, how long ago has it been since the Culps have been on Saturday Night Live? Um, 
But I, what, six, seven years ago, they were popular on, maybe even longer, maybe 10 years ago, they were popular on Saturday Night Live. Uh, but they made an appearance at uh, Stevens Creek Church, so we're going to be playing their money medley because, well, you know, they, Stevens Creek Church needs your money. Uh, and they need a lot of it. And then we'll um, we'll take a break and we come back. We're going to be listening to Rod Parsley. Rod Parsley, are you familiar with that passage from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, that says, No weapon formed against us shall prosper? Um, have you ever wondered if uh, the people who are using that verse to make lots of money are rightly handling God's word? Uh, when it comes to that verse, well, we're going to take a look at that passage and look at how Rod Parsley <clears throat> is mishandling that at recently, in fact, this past week. And uh, so we got, and then also, also, it's hour number two. We're going to be going to back to Las Vegas to The Verve and listen to uh, Vince Antonucci's latest sermon entitled, You Can't Play It Safe and Please God. Apparently, if you live a life that's safe, that doesn't please God. Um, so we're going to be listening to that. What I found interesting in listening to this sermon by Vince Antonucci is, is that it had a lot of the same elements in it from this sermon that we just reviewed of Pete Wilson uh, called Holy Moses. Yeah, you'll see the parallels rather clearly. But anyway, we've got lots of ground to cover. And, and in fact, I'm thinking that today we got to play our warning. So, um, yeah, this, this, it's just the ethical thing to do. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. All right, uh, if you are a woman with an herb garden in your kitchen, this message from God the Holy Spirit may be for you. And it's important that we pass this along because the last thing we want to have happen is for an important message from God the Holy Spirit to not be delivered to the person to whom it's supposed to be delivered to. I mean, so here's Patricia King with the, the, one of the most recent and up-to-date words of knowledge direct from God the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, only 32 people have watched the video so far, so we're not very confident that it's going to actually arrive uh, with the person who needs to hear it. So we're trying to help out. Uh, here, here's Patricia King. I have a word for a woman who has an herb garden in your kitchen and uh, you actually eat off of those plants and they do really, really well. You look after them well, they do well and they continue to bear fruit for you. But um, the woman that this word is for, I just said that word to identify you, but the Lord says you are faithful always in the little and because of that you are going to be given much. And I see a promotion coming for you. I see increase and advancement coming to you because of your faithfulness in the little things. And the Lord says that your herb garden, by the way, is going to continue to bear fruit for you. And it's going to be um, amazing. In fact, he's going to do some miraculous 
miraculous growth. You know, there's a product out called, I think it's called Miracle Grow or something. But you really are going to get Miracle Grow. And look inside those pots because you might be surprised. It might be more than just herbs that is growing in those pots. Okay. Yeah, hopefully you won't get arrested for that extra stuff growing in those pots. So there it is. I mean, if you are a woman with an herb garden in your kitchen, um, this might, this may be a word for you. So, I mean, expect um, miracle grow, uh, miracle growth um, it, with your herbs and a possible promotion. So great news. I'm glad that we were able to help out, get the word out to that particular person. Okay, moving along. We don't have any update music for this section. Well, because it's all about up. It's all about music, anyway. Remember the Culps? Uh, they were a you know kind of a singing duo, a duet duo on uh, Saturday Night Live years ago. Um, well, uh, Stevens Creek Church has enlisted the help of the Culps to uh, <clears throat> help raise money for um, their their uh, latest and greatest seeker-driven um, building campaign advancement thingy. <clears throat> Here's the Culps to explain. Test. Check. Test. Check. Check. Oh. Real hot mic here, fellas. Got a real hot mic. Real hot. Can we check the audio balance there? Can we, can we adjust the audio and, well, and the treble actually? And, and the, uh, and the, can we check and the... And then the bass. Yes. All three. Can we, Whoa. can, can no. we, can we check the treble and the bass? No. Okay. All right. Well, nothing is on par today. Nothing. Okay. No. Now, if, if only we had a new auditorium. Yes, with maybe some updated equipment. Yes. Well, good morning to you. I'm Mr. Marty Culp. And I'm Mrs. Bobby Mohan Culp, and we head up the music department at Altadena Middle School. Yes, and we're real thrilled to be here at this church where it's mandatory that you love it. Sure are. Sure are. Yeah. So... You probably noticed when you walked in today that there's a pledge card underneath your seat. Spoiler alert. We may ask for money. No arm twisting, though. No. No, no twisting of the arms. No. 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 It's sometimes awkward to talk about money, so let's ditch the shame. Grab some bills and some change, because I Love My Church is the name of the game. Church building. We need your money. 
Are you comfortable? I didn't think so. Everybody look to the left. Everybody look to the right. Do you feel that? Yeah. Space is really tight. That's why we need your money, money, money. We're gonna need your money, money, money. It's gonna be a real drag. If you focus on the prize tag, it's all about the cha-ching, cha-ching. You can give your ba-bling, ba-bling. Gonna need a new space. We wanna reach this whole place. went down to Georgia. They were looking for a church to build. They didn't have much time. They didn't have a dime. And Marty doesn't like to steal. They borrowed someone's living room. Baptized people in a hotel pool. Bought some land on Stevens Creek Road. Now it's 25 years of saving souls. You know, gang, you can like more than just your church. I like big crowds and I cannot lie. You other creakers can't deny. When you walk right into this itty bitty place and your butt ain't got no place, you must stand. Now, if it's your first day here, this may be really uncomfortable, but this doesn't necessarily apply to you. Hey, I just met you and this is crazy, but here's a pledge card, so donate maybe. I know it seems like we're money crazy, but here's a Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all about they need your money because the seeker-driven church model is the most expensive model to do church on the planet and the most wasteful, too. I mean, you've got to have a huge state-of-the-art building with all the latest bells and whistles. You have to ha- – you basically hire a small army of stage dressers and then you've got your uh, your, your praise band folk and – and you're constantly updating your stage for your different themes for your different sermon series, and uh, and you know, and man, it's it's the most expensive out there. And in order to continue to grow your seeker driven mega church, uh, you got to continue to grow it because one of the things they don't uh, they don't discuss too much out in the open. But I've been to enough of the seeker driven leadership conferences that I know all about it. Is that um, Young, seeker-driven pastors are encouraged to, well, the term that they use is dress for the wedding. Now, if you've never heard this term before, let me explain it. It goes like this, is that seeker-driven pastors are kind of like um, salespeople, okay? And what I mean by that is this, is that there are certain corporate organizations that uh, look for young highly intellectual but also driven kind of money driven folk out there and what they do is is that they hire them to be their salespeople and no sooner do they get into their position that they're trained and they start to sell then their uh, their sales manager will say you know man you are smart oh yeah you know um listen I don't know why you're driving that old beat-up Dodge. I mean, somebody as smart as you, I mean, you, you, your future's bright. You're not going to be driving a Dodge for a, for a living. No, 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 no. Come over here. In fact, why don't we do this? On our lunch, let me take you out to the Jaguar dealership and, and let's, you know, let's go take a look at, you know, at some of the Jaguars. And you're going, a Jag? Really? Me? Oh, yeah. 
you're you're you this is gonna this is your thing okay i mean th- you don't deserve a, a dodge it's time to step up in the world and and get what you really deserve in life and so they'll take you out on lunch to the jaguar dealership and before lunch is over next thing you know you find yourself in a very expensive lease for uh, the 2012 Jaguar, but of course you're worth it. And 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 then you know they convince you, you know, go out and get a house. And next thing you know, you find yourself in a mortgage, a house that you can't quite uh, afford. I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch. And see, here's the deal: once that happens, they have you. And what I mean by that is this: is that from that point on, you don't have the ability to quit because you'll lose your jag, you'll lose your house. And in order to keep your jag and keep your house and, and all these things that you deserve, of course, you're going to have to become very successful at selling. And so whereas you may have thought, you know, you can work from, you know, the standard eight hours, right? You know, working nine to five. No, no, no. All of a sudden you find yourself working from, you know, six in the morning until seven, eight at night because that's how much work you've got to put into in order to keep your Sales numbers up so that your commission check is big enough to be able to pay for your Jaguar and your <clears throat> and your house, right? Well, seeker-driven pastors are coached in a very similar way, and they're taught to dress for the wedding. And so here's the idea. You, you always have to be future-focused. So a seeker-driven pastor, if they have a church of 2,000 people, they staff their church as if they, uh, they had well, 3,000 or 4,000 people because you got to dress for the wedding. You got to be prepared for the future and always pushing. And so the seeker driven church movement coaches its young, impressionable, um, up and coming stars to always be overstaffed, to always have a little, you know, to be basically be paying more than their current size because you don't want to stagnate. And what that does is it pressures them to constantly be growing. But when you look at their annual budgets, I mean, seriously, okay, we're talking tens of millions of dollars in mortgages, in staff salaries, in uh, in equipment, uh, in smoke machine. I mean, it's it's again, and all of that is so that they can every week put on another show, create the spectacle, draw the crowd. And, you know, basically what these seeker-driven churches are, are very expensive television studios, state-of-the-art. And what's happening? Well, in order to grow, they have to be more appealing. And to keep growing, they've got to be more appealing. Well, in order to be more appealing, well, they've got to cut corners, shave off some of the more, um, you know, unwelcome portions of biblical theology and doctrine and not really talk about that in order to cast you basically cast a wider net with their message and make it more appealing because <clears throat> if you were to teach sound biblical doctrine and rightly handle God's word and exegete it and all of those doctrines that you know the the culture at large really doesn't like if those were broadcast on a regular basis in a seeker driven church well, <clears throat> you might start cutting into your growth curve or worse, start to experience decline. You can't have that happen because then God's not blessing you, right? So what do they need? They need your money and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of it. After all, the last thing you would want to have happen is for your church to go from being large to being small. That would mean that God's not blessing you. Right? 
All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. By the way, click on the subscribe button. I'm maxed out on my friends. Or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Let's face it, it's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing the Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, the Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of the Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, beware of people who are trying to get you to purchase miracles from God. Yeah, God's miracles cannot be bought. He gives them all out for free. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. Yes, that's right. We, well, we survive with your generous gifts, but we don't use them to... Dress for the wedding. In fact, we keep a very low overhead here at Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. And I don't have um, a, a jet. I, we, my wife and I own one car. We don't live in a huge house. In fact, we rent. Um, you know, things like that. You know, so the idea is, is that we're very responsible with the money that uh, you give us because you're partnering with us so that we can preach the gospel and help people have the blinders lifted off of their eyes so that they can see that they're being deceived by people who are taking advantage of them in the name of God and so that they can get into churches where they're hearing the gospel and hearing about really and hearing God's word rightly taught. That's the idea behind fighting for the faith. If that sounds like something you would support or you benefited from that yourself, then visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The join our crew button, you're signing up to contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Time for a Rod Parsley update. Here we go. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce. Hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. El dinero. Wanna be a millionaire. Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shackles. Give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit? That's made out of oot and whistle the wear it in green. I got that monetary itis like me, just like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Back collector, I'm a paper bill inspector, I'm a savage for that cabbage man to me is golden nectar. Pour that filthy lucre on me, spread those loving germs upon me. Money, 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 money. And if they ever plant trees of enormous you know, I wanna be the guy that they send out to prove 
there we go. Money, money, money. That's uh, Dr. Teeth from The Muppet Show. All right, so are you ready? Um, get your helmets on or your tinfoil pyramid hats or whatever. What you're about to hear is probably one of the most egregious and horrible examples of somebody twisting God's word and covering himself in the Bible and, and Bible verses in order to make merchandise of people. Here is Rod Parsley and his segment from a recent edition of his program entitled No Weapon Formed. Here we go. Right now, a fierce all-out attack against you, against everything of great value in your life. But my dear, dear friend, your commander-in-chief has full supremacy, absolute authority, and he's decreed and declared that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. On this broadcast, you're about to discover how to receive for yourself his miraculous anointing of provision and protection. Stay right where you are. I'm Rod Parsley. This yeah. here's your... Yeah, so do, do you need God's provision and protection? Well, you're going to find out how you can get it today. How much do you want to bet that this involves sending money to Rod Parsley? Let's continue. Right where you are. I'm Rod Parsley. This here's your breakthrough. Your relationships, your health, your finances may be under attack. But today, the ancient words of the prophet Isaiah reverberate down through the ages. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, from the high-definition studios of World Harvest Church in Columbus, Ohio, it's time for your breakthrough. I think someone ought to join me right now just... Shout right about it, your innermost being. No weapon. Come on, shout it. No weapon. Notice all the hype. No weapon is that formed against you. By the way, open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 54. You're going to need to have it open. Tell somebody here, you tell somebody there, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It just won't work. What a time we're about to have. Right now, what I'd like you to do, now don't do it if you're in this wonderful studio waters, but if you're watching at home, here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to call your friends. I want you to text. Come on, your cell phone's laying right there. You're never more than two feet away from it. Text all your friends. Tweet somebody if you got an iPhone. Or if you're like me, just go out in the backyard and yell over the fence to some of your neighbors. Tell everybody you know that their adversary, I feel a thing is about to encounter a God with whom they cannot contend. Tell them. So what would those adversaries be, by the way? Well, you're going to find out. Encounter a God with whom they cannot contend. Tell them. Turn on the TV right now. Watch Breakthrough because Pastor Ron... That's right. Tell all your friends to turn on the TV right now. I mean, Why? Why would I want to tell my friends and neighbors to turn on their television quick? Rod Parsley's on. Tweet it out. Get on your on your smartphone. Get on Twitter quick. Send out the hashtag. No weapon formed against me. And, and let all your your friends. You got to turn into Rod Parsley right now. Why, well, why would that be? Well, you're gonna find out. For you, right there, right there, where you are in the middle. 
in the middle of that raging struggle, that battle, that conflict, everybody shout, no weapon. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready? All right. So imagine, just imagine for a second that you've just lost your job. Or you just heard from your doctor that you've been diagnosed with cancer. Or um, you came home uh, a week or two ago and uh, your spouse has left you. Um, or your your child has been arrested. You know, you, you, all, right now you are having a crisis in your life. Okay, You're flipping channels and you're looking for an answer. You are miserable. You are suffering. You're in anguish. You are looking for a way out. And you've probably spent time praying, God, I just need a sign. Please, please, please give me anything to show me that you hear me. Okay, and you've come across this program. Now he's got your interest, right? Um, okay, maybe this is the answer to my prayers, right? Conception that some of the things that are currently arrayed against us must have some kind of power. But I hear Isaiah shouting up out of the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem, no weapon, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Listen, it gets better. And every tongue, I'm going to talk about those folks lying about you right now. I'm talking about those folks that can't tell the truth about you right now. No. Every tongue that rises against you to judge you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. If you are one, shout no weapon. Uh, Come on, shout no weapon. Now, what he said is kind of true. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, those who've been brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But don't worry. Don't let that get in the way. He's not going to overdefine this thing. He, you know, because what he's really after, <laughs> he's not really after you being brought to repentance and faith in Christ. No, 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 no. What he's really after is um, a financial contribution on your part um, of a particular amount, too. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Spoiler alert there. I'm ready. I'm ready to make a declaration. I have no no idea, really. I have no idea what weapon in the arsenal of your adversary that he's chosen to use against you today. Okay, now here comes the litany of weapons. What kind of weapons are we talking about here? Well, listen. That in this economy, so many are being hammered, beaten down by weapons called lack. Mm, A weapon called lack. Huh. Hmm. So maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you're struggling, you know, financially, you know, with the rising cost of food and gas. I mean, you're barely able to make... You're suffering. You have an enemy who's formed a weapon called lack. Huh. By weapons called lack, insufficiency, not enough, debt. You may have lost your job. So, so okay, think about this for a second, okay? Just think about the evil of what it is that you're hearing. People he's preying on are those 
who can't afford to make ends meet. They are literally struggling financially. They may be behind on their rent. They may not be able to make their car payment. Their car is about ready to be um, taken from them, repoed. Um, Maybe they don't even have enough money to pay for their electricity. And so this is who he's preying on. Okay? So these are people who are in bona fide, real financial trouble. That's who he's taken advantage of. Think, just think how evil that is. Because when we get to the sales pitch portion of this, you're going to be disgusted. So many have. And now you're behind on your house payment. Your car's in danger of being repossessed. And you can't see the end in sight. God has a word for you today. I, I want to whisper it, but I can't. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. The weapon of recession is broken. Hear this word and heed it. Hear this word. Believe it. The weapon of financial loss arrayed against you shall not prosper. I don't know, maybe. Maybe you've come from your physician's office. Maybe uttered those words. It struck a resounding fear in the depths of your heart. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be handed a child, be told no hope. I've been there, and I can still shout, no weapon. Now, he keeps saying that, no weapon, no weapon, out of context, no context. In fact, let's. If I ask you to open up your Bible to Isaiah 54. Open it up, uh, flip back one chapter. Let's go back to Isaiah 53. Let's get some context here. Let's do a little Bible study. Find out what's going on in Isaiah. Is Isaiah saying in Isaiah 54 verse 17 that the weapon of lack is not going to prosper against you? The, the, the weapon of cancer, the weapon of, you know, whatever. Is that what he's talking about? Is that really what this passage is saying? Well, the only way we're going to figure that out is using our three primary rules for sound biblical exegesis, and they are context, context, and context. And we're going to start with Isaiah 53. There's a reason for this, because 54 flows from 53, and Isaiah 53, uh, literally, this is one of the passages in Scripture that is the clearest passage regarding the gospel in all of Scripture. Okay, if you remember yesterday's lecture on what is the gospel, um, uh, the point that uh, I think Dr. Thomas made was that um, if you watch the movie The Passion of the Christ, what you saw was a man being beaten brutally, okay, absolutely beaten senseless, one of the worst uh, cinema, cinematographer, you know, well, I don't even know the right word. The, one of the worst movie depictions of somebody being scourged ever, right? And very accurate, okay? You, you saw this. But the thing is, is that 
watching that movie, you didn't actually hear the gospel. And here's the reason why. is because there is a theological significance attached to the crucifixion of Christ that is not stated while he's being crucified. It comes before in Isaiah, and it comes after in the, in the writings of the apostles, telling us what was going on there while that was occurring. To the, to, to the untrained observer, all they saw when Jesus was being crucified was a guy being crucified. That happened all the time in Jerusalem during the time of the Roman occupation, right? People were crucified, you know, regularly. What made this crucifixion any different than any other? Okay, well, here's what Isaiah 53 says. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that's Christ, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look on him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions. We're transgressors. We have all transgressed God's holy laws and his commands. Each and every one of us are stand guilty before God of sinning against him and against our neighbors, right? But Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like the sheep that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off uh, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had once that although he had done no violence, and yet there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And by his his knowledge shall all the right shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted or reckoned righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for their for the transgressors. Chapter 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth and sing into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the one who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and stretch, strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will uh, people the desolate cities. Okay? This is talking eschatologically here. Okay, This is talking eschatologically. Why? Because every one of us eventually is going to die. It's not promising material wealth here, but when Christ returns in glory... And we are in his kingdom, having been raised bodily from the grave. 
here on a new earth, right? New heavens, new earth. We're going to spread forth, right? We will inherit the earth itself. This is what this is referring to. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now, you'll notice here the, the language, husband talk. Okay, So this is talking about the church, right? This is, you know, this is a, you know, who, what is Christ? Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says the Lord. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This is very comforting words for those who are in the church, those who are in Christ, right? O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate and the gates of carbuncles and all your wall of precious stones, and all your children shall be taught by the Lord. The great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established and shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its own purposes. I have also created the ravenger to destroy, but no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord." Just a quick summary here. So in Isaiah 53, we have the suffering servant, Jesus, being pierced for the transgressions of the Lord's people. This is what it says. And then in Isaiah 54, the eschatological result of all of this, the coming kingdom of God and the promises of, of what's coming, right? But Jesus himself says here on the earth that we should expect suffering and persecution for his name's sake. You know, if they crucified him who is the Lord, how much more are they going to persecute and cause to suffer those who are his servants, those who are his disciples? The same thing happens here. But all of this is going to, all of this, these tears, the, the rejection that we have, those who suffer by, you know, by basically proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming and believing in the, in the Lord. Right now they are hated and despised, but God is going to gather us. He's going to gather us on the last day and we will possess the earth forever and and him forever right this is what it's talking about here so that's what's going on here it, these are these are in, in a very real sense eschatological promises but when we read Isaiah 54:17 in context it doesn't say anything about the weapon of lack or the weapon of cancer or anything like that that this is not what this passage is saying but 
see what this passage is saying is not really uh, an important thing to Rod Parsley. Rod Parsley has a different agenda. His agenda is not faithfully proclaiming God's word. No, not at all. His agenda has nothing to do with proclaiming the Christ who was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. No, 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 no. He's manipulating God's word in order to take advantage of those who are in very real distress and suffering. This man, well, he's like a shark, you know, because a shark smells blood in the water. That's what he is. You know, people who are wounded and grieving and suffering, that's like blood in the water. And he's the shark that's circling, and he's about to take a big bite out of those people who are already suffering, all, all with the assurance, all with the assurance that, oh, don't worry, don't worry, God wants to help you, but, yeah, you need to give me money first. That's all coming. Here we go. I've been there that report said cancer. And I'm here to tell you, I can still shout. No weapon. Let me declare the decree of the Lord. Let me speak the law of the Lord over your physical situation right now. No weapon. Not cancer. No weapon. No malady, no malfunction, no disease shall prosper. No infirmity is broken. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your children. Maybe there's a situation going on there that keeps you pacing the floor at night. And though you seek for it desperately, no peace comes. No rest comes. You fall over and go to sleep a few hours out of exhaustion, sleepless night after sleepless night. And believe me, if that's you right now, there's in the natural reason to be gravely concerned. Recent statistics show that 45 teenagers die every day in America. And the top three killers are accident. Okay, so let's review here. Who's he trolling for? Those who are financially strapped, right? Who are who can't pay their bills. Those who've received a diagnosis from the doctor and it's not looking good. Those whose children have died. Okay? These are the people he's trolling for. And he's going to offer a simple solution. Murder and suicide. Our children are taking their own lives. I, I read those statistics and I think you've, you've been on this planet 12 years. How can you get so distressed in 12 years that you would take... Oh, he sounds so compassionate, doesn't he? ...that you would take your own life. Why is it that such relentless warfare raises up and is being waged against our teenagers. It's very simple. The adversary hates them, not because of who they are today, but because he knows what they have the potential of. 
Oh, brother. Oh, yeah. Satan is raging a war against children because they have the potential to do something great in the world. What they're going to accomplish for the kingdom of almighty God, because we will not let them go. And I'm here to prophetically proclaim to you that no weapon formed against your children, no weapon formed against your teenager, no weapon formed against your grandchildren, shall prosper. I need somebody to agree with me right now. Oh, look at all these people. They believe this too, don't they? Well, the kicker's coming. Somebody to agree with me right now. I know that you want your children protected. Oh, yeah. I want my children protected. I mean, you you may take a risk yourself, but you want your children protected. How can I have my children? I don't want them to be at risk. I don't want the devil to, to war against them. How can I ensure that my children will be protected? From the entrapments of the adversary. So let me encourage you right now. Oh, please do. Atmans of the adversary. So let me encourage you right now. Lay hold of a promise of Isaiah 54, 17. So I just need to lay hold of a promise. Okay. Notice the word. Lay hold of a promise. Is a promise something you have to pay for? Okay, for instance, if I were to say to you, you know, I promise that tomorrow I'm going to do X, Y, or Z for you. I promise I'm going to do that. Is that something you have to pay for? No. If I'm promising to give you something, then it's a gift. It's given as a promise. It's not something you have to buy. A promise is a promise. So here he's saying, lay hold of the Isaiah 54, 17 promise. But apparently, um, promise means something different to him than it does to the rest of the world. Listen. If you're weary from the battle and you want with all your heart to have God Almighty step in and say, I've got this now. Okay, so. And you need to lay hold. So if you want God Almighty to step in and say, okay, I got this now. Okay, so you can sit down. God's going to fight your battle for you, right? So, I mean, it sounds like a great thing. I'm, wow. Okay, so I need to lay hold of a promise. And if I'm so tired and weary that I want God to kind of like tap in, you know, think of like a wrestling match. Tap in, don't, and him say, don't, just step out of the ring. I got this now for you. Oh, yeah, that sounds helpful, doesn't it? How do I get that to happen? With every ounce of dogged faith you can find in your being right now. And I can tell you right now, there is a supernatural flowing forth of the gift of faith. I'm here to tell you, you're about to be able to take a step of faith that you had no idea you could take. Because there's an infusion of the supernatural gift of faith coming to you right now. So I can take a supernatural step of faith? This is an opportunity that has all of a sudden just magically appeared? Already it's starting to sound, hmm, uh-oh. Natural gift of faith coming to you right now. Tell him that I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to stand up in faith and I'm going to sow an Isaiah 54, 17 seed of $54.17. Listen to me. There it is. I thought you said it was a promise. So if I want God to 
you know, tap me on the shoulder and say, all right, I got this now. You go sit down. I need to step out in faith and sow an Isaiah 54, 17 seed. By sowing a seed of $54.17. Remember, who's he trolling for? People who can't even pay their rent or their mortgage or their car payment. Okay? So they're going to give up $54.17 to demonstrate to God that they're stepping out in faith so that God will see that and go, okay, good. Now I know you believe, so I'm going to help you. He's selling God's promises. 17 cents only matters because that's the instruction that God placed in my spirit for you today. So God placed this instruction in Rod Parsley's spirit today. Maybe that's why Isaiah 54, 17 says nothing about sending money to Rod Parsley. Because he says that God put that into his heart. Don't believe it. Reason word. Could I encourage you, if God asks you to do some great thing, you do it. I'm asking you to take a very simple step of faith toward God, to obey a very simple instruction. Yeah, an instruction that is not in the Bible, but an instruction that God gave directly to Rod Parsley. See, he's the prophet now, not Isaiah. See, God told him to tell you to give him $54.17. Lord God, to obey a very simple instruction. Because when Naaman obeyed that instruction, the miracle of God was released, just like I'm believing with you right now. Naaman didn't give $54.17 to Elisha. I can perceive it. I, I can perceive that virtue's going forth out of me. I feel your faith pulling on me right now. Uh-huh. Somebody in this studio audience is sitting here right now saying, Could it be? Could it be? Could this be my moment? Could this be my word? Could this be my opportunity? Right now, you have a need. And you've received an instruction. Mm -hmm. You have a need and you've received a direct instruction from God through the prophet, Rod Parsley. And you've received an instruction. Take a step of faith. Respond in faith right now because your miracle only manifests by what God does. You're not responsible to perform a miracle only to begin one with a seed. And the miracle of God becomes manifested by what he does when you simply obey. Go to the phone. Do it right now. Go to the phone. Right now. This is a moment of faith that may never ever. No, it's a moment of fleecing. And mark my words, Rod. You will have to give an accounting to God for this blasphemy. For every penny that you stole from these people who were down on down on their luck, down on life, who were suffering, and you bled them dry with your false promises from God. Faith that may never, ever, ever be repeated again. But God is saying, if you're hearing this word, take hold of it. Seize this moment. Claim this word right now as your own word and say, God, that's me. That's my family. That's my business. That's my ministry. That's my church. 
God, those are my children. That's my marriage. So I feel the adversary releasing his stranglehold. Are you going to your phone? Yeah, just quick, call him. Send in your $54.17 so that God can defeat the adversary in your life. This is exactly what Jude refers to when he warns us of those who've gone after Balaam's heir, Balaam who prophesied for profit. This is what the scripture warns us about those who make merchandise of you in the name of God. This is what it means to take God's name in vain. If you think taking God's name in vain is typing into your smartphone messaging system, OMG, believe me, it's way worse than that. This is what blasphemy sounds like. This is what it means to take God's name in vain. To literally rob those who are suffering, promising them release and all they have to do is give you money. There will be a day when we see men like Rod Parsley thrown into the lake of fire, and we will rejoice at the judgment of God over such men as this. Man, utter, utter blasphemy. If you have been hoodwinked by people like this, understand this. This isn't Christianity, and God is not speaking to this man. You want to know the truth? Find out about Jesus. Read the apostles. God doesn't sell his miracles. He loves you, and he's offered you the miracle of forgiveness of your sins for free and gratis. He is your loving and eternal father who takes care of your needs purely out of his love for you, and you do not have to buy miracles from him. And anybody who says otherwise is an agent of the devil, don't listen to them. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Faster. It be too late to alter course, mateys. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove, waiting to board. Sit closer together and keep your ruddy hands inboard. That be the best way to repel boarders. And mark well me words, mateys. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low 
prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Going back to Las Vegas. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via the verve in las vegas nevada vince antonucci presiding the name of the sermon series is renegade you can't play it safe and please god now that name for the sermon ought to basically have red flags going off in your head right now Here's the question. How do we please God? Do you think you please God by living dangerously? Do you please God by obeying his law? Or do you please God by believing in Christ and having his righteousness accredited to you? By the way, the last one, that's the biblical answer, and that's not the one that Vince Antonucci gets to. And what's really fascinating about this sermon, this is the second in the series, um, he's going to make an apologetic, a case for not giving us Bible stories, but uh, going outside of the Bible to find examples of people that are living this way. So you're going to hear him literally argue, yeah, you know, the Bible was so long ago, and those people, like, they're not like relevant now. So let's look at examples of this in like, modern day life. No joke. So... Without any further ado, let's kill the music. Here is Vince Antonucci and his um, sermon entitled Renegade, You Can't Play It Safe and Please God. Here we go. This problem is probably a problem in your own life, but it's bigger than that. It's a problem uh, with our entire culture, and you know it. The problem is is that we're all sinners in need of a savior. Um, is that the problem? Because that's the problem that Christianity addresses. What's the problem that you're talking about, Vince? Is that we play it safe. The problem is that we live in an age of apathy because we play it safe. We, we live in a kingdom of boredom. We've been mesmerized by the mundane and lulled into mediocrity. We live in this kingdom of boredom in an age of apathy and our... By the way, tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I'm going to be playing a good sermon from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. I think it's entitled, Thank God for the Mundane. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss it. That's going to be the counter anchor to this thing that is disguised itself as a sermon that you're listening to right now. War cry is, whatever. There's a New York uh, beat poet named uh, Taylor Malley, and he has this great poem called Totally Like Whatever, you know? It goes like this. He says, 
in case you hadn't noticed, it has somehow become uncool to sound like you know what you're talking about or believe strongly in what you're saying. Invisible question marks and parenthetical you knows have been attaching themselves to the ends of our sentences. Even when those sentences aren't like questions, you know, declarative sentences, so-called because they used to declare something to be true as opposed to other things which were like not, have been infected by a totally hip and tragically cool interrogative tone, you know? Like, don't think I'm uncool just because I've noticed this. This is just the word on the street, you know? It's like what I've heard. I have nothing personally invested in my own opinions, okay? I'm just inviting you into my uncertainty, what has happened to our conviction? Where are the, the limbs out on which we once walked? Have they been, like, chopped down with the rest of the rainforest? Or, or do we have, like, nothing to say? Has society become, like, so totally, I mean, absolutely, you know, that we've gotten to the point where it's just like, whatever, and so actually, our disarticulationness is just a clever sort of thing to disguise the fact that we have become the most aggressively inarticulate generation to come along since, like, a long, long time ago. I entreat you. I implore you. I exhort you. I challenge you to speak with conviction, to say what you believe in a manner that bespeaks the determination with which you believe it. Because contrary to the wisdom of the bumper stickers, it is not enough today to simply question authority. You have to speak with it too. Kind of a, kind of a cool poem. And he's right. The problem though, is, is that we've got nothing to say. And we've got nothing to say because we're barely living life. And we're barely living life because we're playing it safe. And so what we say is, whatever. Any of you guys um, see the movie, uh, We Bought a Zoo, came out last year? Oh, a bunch of you did, yeah. Um, this movie's about this, um, this father and his two kids. The wife, mother, uh, recently died. And, and so now dad's trying to raise these two kids on his own. And at one point, his uh, young teenage son says, whatever. And the father says, whatever is the laziest word of the 21st century. I am sick of whatever. And little sister, the younger daughter, she, she says, but dad, that's the only word he uses. He'll have nothing else to say. And I think for a lot of us, that is the main word we use. Maybe it's not the word you actually speak, but still, it tends to be our dominant emotion. We just go through life, whatever. And the reason is because we're playing it safe. In that movie... Uh, the father, whose job for years has been as an adventure writer. He writes about other people's adventures. Um, he uh, buys a zoo 
not really giving anything away. The title of the movie might kind of, you know, give you the plot there. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, he buys this, like, downtrodden, dysfunctional, dilapidated zoo. And, and uh, when he's about to, like, start on this adventure of getting it all, you know, brought back together, and he gets the family together, the two kids and the whole zoo crew, and he, he stands in front of all of them, and he tries to inspire them. He, he says this. He says, I would like to declare us all modern day adventurers and they said now does anyone else just find it bizarre like completely odd that a man who is supposed to be a christian pastor giving a sermon at a christian church is finding that the subject that he's preaching on is dictated by some poem and the movie we bought a zoo but is not being governed by a clear text at all. Where in the Bible does it say that we are to be adventurers? Okay, I would point you to passages that say quite the opposite. For instance, um, well, we could look at, say, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay. I'll start at like, yeah, verse 9. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing, all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we have instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let me read verse 11. Aspire to live quietly. It doesn't say to aspire to live adventurously, as if somehow that's the norm. No, the the admonition for Christian brothers at the church there in Thessalonica is to, well, live quietly. How about Ephesians? Ephesians chapter, let's see, 4, verse 26. Be angry. Do not let the sin go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting, corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only what is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Hmm. Yeah, when you get to the things that are the therefores of the gospel, you know, you know, you you have been saved by grace through faith. Therefore, live quietly, work hard with your hands, serve your neighbor in your vocation. Seems kind of ordinary and mundane, but um, apparently Vince Antonucci hasn't read those passages, so there's a problem out there. The problem is there's not people out there being adventurous. In fact. He says you can't play it safe and please God, but yet, see, that's the thing. Um, where in Scripture does it say I can't please God unless I live adventurously? I don't think of I can't think of a single passage that says that. We continue. Set on this adventure together. Later in the story, once they're into the adventure, the little daughter says um, at one point, she says, "Daddy, how come you don't tell us stories?" anymore. And the father says, because now we're living the story. 
We're living the story. Let me ask you this. Do you think it's possible that God would like to get us all together? No, no, notice what he's done here. He hasn't read a single passage of scripture. He's read a beatbox poet, you know, his poem. He's made a, a reference to the movie We Bought a Zoo. And now he's asking a question. Do you think it's possible that God wants us? To do whatever. Um, I don't need to guess when it comes to what God would have me do. No, no. I don't have to think what's possible or anything of the sort. If I need to know what God wants me to do, it's real simple. I open up my Bible and I read it. Because all scripture is God-breathed. Okay? All scripture equips the, 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 you know, the Christian for every good work that God would have you do. I don't need to guess. I don't need to wonder. I don't need to scratch my head and go, hmm, nope. Open up my Bible and read it. That requires me, though, to be very conversant with God's Scripture, all of it. All of it. It's clearly revealed. It's unambiguous. No guesswork is is involved. Simply understand what God has revealed, and I will know what good works God wants me to do. We continue. And say to us, I would like to declare us all modern day adventurers. Okay, I'm going to back this up because I want you to hear it in context because this is not how a Christian pastor is supposed to preach. Listen again. This. Do you think it's possible that God would like to get us all together and say to us, I would like to declare us all modern-day adventurers. And do you think it's possible that that's what you've been waiting for your entire life? Like, that that part of you inside that feels dead is just waiting to be woken up by those words from God and by you saying yes to that invitation. I think it's uh, very possible that that is exactly what God would say to you and exactly what would wake you up. And the reason... So you think it's possible. Um, like what kind of possible? One in five? What are the odds here, the possibility? You think it's really possible? 50-50? Well, I mean, what are we talking about here? Your job is to preach the word, Vince. What's this? It's because we have thousands of years of history in the Bible of God interacting with people. And throughout the Bible, God calls people. And when God calls people, what he calls them to is never a nice, easy, safe, comfortable life. God always calls people. Notice we heard those exact same words from whom? Oh, yeah, Pete Wilson. Remember the last sermon we reviewed from Pete Wilson? Where we got eight minutes and 12 seconds of him engaging in psychological eisegesis of the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Laban, right? And then we got almost 18 minutes of him preaching about himself. He made those these same points. And he's basically trying to argue, well, see, in the Bible, 
we got all these examples of hard things being asked of people. Yet I just pointed you out to a clear passage of Scripture written to Christians in a Christian church, by the way. Live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. And yet we've got some, he thinks it's very possible based upon oh, God asked people to do really hard things. Uh-huh. But there's no clear passage that says I'm supposed to do anything like, well, Abraham or Moses or Jacob or any of those guys. Oh, two as an adventure. Like, um, like we see God uh, calling this guy named Noah and, and God says to Noah, listen, it, it's not raining. It, there's no forecast of rain, but what I want you to do is get busy and build an ark cause it's going to rain and you will be ridiculed for building this ark, but just do it. And after this flood, you're going to be the one responsible for restarting the whole human race. <laughs> okay. Kind of big. Um, God speaks to Abraham and God notice he's making the same mistake Pete Wilson made thinking that the Bible's about you and it's not, it's about Christ. It's about the promised coming Messiah. God says, listen, I want you to go. I'm not going to tell you the place you're going to. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I just want you to go. I'll tell you when you get there. And when you get there, not only will you have left behind everything you've ever known and gone to this new place, as a 99-year-old, I want you to have your first child and start a family. Okay. Uh, God speaks to this guy, Moses, and he says, you know, Moses, you've built kind of a nice life for yourself as a shepherd. But what I want you to do is I want you to go back to the country of Egypt where you are a wanted fugitive for murdering someone. I want you to go back there and I want you to confront the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And I want you to demand that he let all my people go out of slavery. God uh, later speaks to a guy named Joshua, and, and he says, Joshua, I want you to take this little ragtag group of, of Israelites, and I want you to invade and take this area that belongs to you uh, called uh, Jericho, and, and, and I want you to, to be strong and courageous. And, and I imagine Joshua saying, yeah, I'll need to be strong and courageous to do that. Yeah, over and over. God calls David, the little kid, to fight a, a giant. God calls Esther to confront the king. He calls the disciples of Jesus to go out and share the message of God and his love with the entire world. Like, not just your city or your... T no, you're responsible for the entire world. God always calls people to an adventure, to something beyond themselves, something they could never do on their own. There's a, um, a book in the New Testament called Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapter 11, um, the Bible kind of gives us this history of God's people who said yes to God's call on their life and, and embarked on this adventure. And I want to read to you a few verses. We'll put them on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews 11. But if not, um, you can read them off the screen. Now, do turn to Hebrews 11. And I want, you to, I want you to pay careful attention to the fact that he's quoting from the last part of Hebrews 11, and it's as if he's carefully making sure not to read Hebrews 11 in context, because if he did that, it would lose the point that he's trying to make it make. In other words, Hebrews 11 doesn't make the point that he's making. Remember, what's the point? Hebrews 11 is all about these people who took up God's adventurous thing for their lives and, and embraced it, right? That's not the point that Hebrews 11 is making, but listen to what he does. So Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. Starting at verse 32. 
verse 32. Why is he going to the end? Answer, because if he started at the beginning, he couldn't make it say what he's about to try to make it say. Listen to what he does, and then I'll correct it. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. See, all through the Bible, thousands of years of history, God called people, and he always called them to something daring. Okay, stop. Boy, but he sure did try to make it. He tried really hard to make it look like Hebrews 11 is all about God calling us to do something daring. Context, context, context. Is that what Hebrews 11 is saying? That God is calling us all to something daring? Nope. Hebrews 11.1. By the way, if you're familiar with the Bible, then you'll know that Hebrews 11 is often referred to as the great hall of faith. Not the great hall of adventure. Just so you know, uh, Hebrews 11 is not the um, uh, the hall of fame for adventurers. No, it's great hall of faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as being righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now I want to point something out here, right out of the bat. Was it adventurous to offer a sacrifice to God? Hardly. This is not about being adventurous, is it? By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Notice Hebrews 11.6 says, it, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So here we, we got Enoch, prior to the flood, being taken up to heaven because, according to Scripture, he was commended as having pleased God. Well, how did he do that? How did Enoch please God? Did he please God by being adventurous? Okay, Remember the name of the sermon. You can't play it safe and please God. But Hebrews 11, verse 6, doesn't say that. Hebrews 11, 6, 6 says, without faith. 
it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, not in, not in a spirit of adventure, but in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has, its found, who's, that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now you see here that the inspired writer of the book of Hebrews makes it clear that all of this is by faith. And he continues listing more and more people. And by the time we get to verse 32, we're just about finished with this chapter where he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. You see, by skipping to Hebrews 11.32, um, Vince Antonucci doesn't have to get into that thorny theology about being saved by grace through faith and, and really divulging that this passage isn't about an adventurous spirit. By starting at verse 32, he's able to create the misperception that this passage is teaching us that we need to be adventurers. But that's not what this text is saying at all. Not at all. What he's doing is twisting God's word, engaging in deception. Deception, by the way, is the tool and weapon, not of God, but of the devil. We continue. Something difficult, something dangerous, something beyond themselves. And I think the reason God does that is because it forces that person to rely on him, right? If he gives you a challenge that you can do on your own, you don't need God. But when he gives you something beyond yourself, man, then you have to get into this vital relationship, this, this dependence on God. You have to enter into this dangerous partnership with God. And when you accomplish whatever it is that God called you to, man, God gets the glory, because people look at you and you're like, you couldn't do that on your own. And they realize that there is something great about God. So let me ask you this. All through the Bible, thousands of years, we see God calling person after person after person. And every time he calls them into something, something bigger than themselves, something daring. Do you think it's possible that after thousands of years of that, that maybe at some point after the Bible, God went, eh, I'm done with that. I'm going to move on. I'm going to do things different now. And so instead of God being like Moses. Now, now notice, he is not actually teaching a biblical text. 
He's making an inference from these passages that really can't be supported and is directly contradicted by the passages I just quoted from Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians 4. Work quietly with your hands, minding your own business, right? And so he's basically trying to create the impression that this is one of the overarching messages of the Scripture because all the people who were called to do these things, they were called to adventure, Right? He has no clear passages, so what he's doing here is he's putting out the you know the premise and then following up the premise with, well, what are the chances that God's changed the way he operates? Probably not so good. So therefore, ergo, God wants you to be adventurous. This isn't a biblical doctrine. He's not engaging in sound doctrine. This is flat out, flat out speculation based upon a faulty and false premise. Let's lead my people out of slavery. Esther, confront the king. David, fight the giants. Now he's like, Bob, make as much money as you can and then try to retire early and play golf for the last 20 years of your life. That's all I have for you. I don't think so. Do you think he's like, Julie, try to raise some good kids and maybe serve on the PTA. That's all I have for you. This is, man... Let me read it again. First Thessalonians chapter four. Okay. Verse nine concerning brotherly love. You have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your affairs and to work with your hands as we have instructed you. Hmm. Who inspired the Apostle Paul to pen those words? Answer, God the Holy Spirit. So who are you going to believe? A guy who is basically trying to engage in speculation to create a theological doctrine of adventure from his speculations, or are you going to believe the clear teaching of the Word of God? Those are your choices. Maybe he's like, Frank... I know you hate your job, but try to enjoy your weekends. You should try fantasy football. You enjoy football? You like statistics? It's a perfect fit for you. That's, that's all I have for you. I don't think so. You know, I don't think God changed at any point. God doesn't call people to a safe, comfortable life. He calls them to be modern-day adventurers. And God is calling... And he has no biblical passage that says that. And I just quoted you passages that flat-out contradict him. God has not called us to be modern-day adventurers. This is crazy, and it's deceptive. God is calling you to an adventure. God is calling you to something that's going to move you outside your comfort zone. It's something that seems a little too risky for you. And he's doing it so that you'll learn to rely on him and so that you can live life with him and live a life that really matters. And so instead of whatever, instead of watching stories on TV and in movie theaters, reading stories in novels, you will be living a story. You'll be living a story because you'll be doing something that you'd never do without him. We're calling this series uh, Renegade. The idea of the series is that God calls us to live in a certain way. 
But the way that God calls us to live is so different than what we're used to. It's so different than what might seem normal or comfortable to us. It's so different than the way most people live that most people won't choose to live the way God's calling us to live. Renegade, that's the name of the sermon series. Hmm. You know, <clears throat> this calls for a gratuitous fighting for the faith musical interlude. Let me remind you of the you know what the implications of the word renegade are. Ready? Here's the band sticks. Oh mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Lawman is putting in to my running and I'm so far from my home. Oh mama, I can hear you are crying, you're so scared and all alone. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very Hangman is coming down from the gallows, and I don't have very long. Renegades. Yeah, those are the people who, well, are wanted by the law. I'm not really interested in that kind of adventure. Um, I would rather not appear on America's Most Wanted, unless, of course, they start hunting Christians and outlaw Christianity, in which case I won't have a choice. But I don't generally choose to seek after adventure. You understand what I'm saying, nor do I really want to be a renegade. We continue. Even most Christians. Most Christians will believe in God. And invite Jesus into my life, but won't really live the life as God is calling them to. Because it just seems too risky. Mm, I see. So here's, there's apparently two tiers in Christianity now. Are you ready? There's the tier of Christians, well, they're just playing it safe. They're not really pleasing God. No, no, no. They don't please God at all. Why? Because they would rather just play it safe. They are refusing to live the life that God is calling them to by engaging in the mundane and the ordinary. And then there's the people like Vince Antonucci, the risk taker, the adventurer. Those are the people that really please God. Now, you don't want to be part of the group of people that doesn't please God, do you? You don't want to sit there and be rebelling against the adventure that God is calling you to you by playing it safe and joining the PTA, do you? Oh, no. See, you can't please God and play it safe. That's what he's saying. And nothing could be further from the truth. We are made pleasing to God by the shed blood of Christ on the cross. 
we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 3 when he says that all of his good works are scubalong, dung, right? Excrement. So that he might be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but the righteousness that is by faith. See, you're made pleasing to God by faith. Remember Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Here, he's saying without, well, without being adventurous, it's impossible to please God. Without, well, you know, taking risks, it's impossible to please God. This is a new kind of law. But this is not what the Bible teaches, and we're saved by grace through faith. We're made pleasing by faith, not by being risk-takers. But listen, in this series, we're trying to get this idea across that you cannot play it safe and please God. Because God doesn't call you to play it safe. And so you can't play it safe and please God. But there's a problem. And the problem is that we want to play it safe. We enjoy playing it safe. We like playing it safe. And we're stopped by fear, but we can't play it safe. Now, I just want to pause for one quick moment and just be absolutely clear so nobody walks out of here thinking the wrong thing. When I say you can't play it safe and please God, I am not suggesting that you have to be this evil Knievel, daredevil Christian who does something stupid. You know, I'm not saying go out and do the stupidest thing you can find to do, okay? And so it's not like... I'm going to wrestle that bear because I'm a renegade or I'm going to jump off of this cliff. Now, I want to point something out here. If this was really a biblical teaching, then why would he have to give this clarification? If this was what the Bible really teaches, wouldn't he just be able to open up his Bible and take us to the passage that teaches us to be Christian renegades and the, the passage that tells us, what it is that we've got to do to please God, what adventurous adventures he really wants us to have, and what it, what it means to be an adventurer and what it doesn't mean. Would, all you have to do is open up the Bible and show us from Scripture where this is taught. But notice he's not doing that. He's having to clarify himself what he means by this, and he can't go to a, a passage to back it up. This is a clear sign he's not teaching you what the Bible teaches at all. Because I'm a renegade. I'm going to eat this raw pork because I am a renegade. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying just go out and do something stupid. You know, you know, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. What we need to do is we need to live faithful lives to God. We need to live faithful lives to God. Okay? We need to have this attitude where we wake up in the morning. This is what God's calling us to. We wake up in the morning and we say, God, what do you need me to do today? In every moment, God, what do you need me to do in this moment? God, whatever it is, I'll do it. Faithful lives. God, what do you need me to do today? God, what do you need me to do in this moment? God, whatever it is, I'll do it. And listen, often, okay, the truth is often what God will call us to are very ordinary things, very um, quiet acts of faithfulness, uneventful, not outside our comfort zone, things that we're like, I can do this. Now he's starting to contradict himself, getting, you know, basically, he didn't he just say 
that God never asks us to do something simple, that he asks us to do something that is so difficult and so hard and so adventurous that everyone would say, wow, there's no way you could have done that unless God helped you do it, right? That's what he just said. And so now he's saying you got to wake up everyone and go, God, what am I supposed to do? And then kind of wait for God to tell you in your heart or somewhere, right? doesn't have you opening up your Bible and learning the will of God by what is written and revealed in God's word. No, you're listening. And, then, and now, apparently, the majority of the time, God's going to ask you to do something simple. Even though that's not how God is, right? He's flat out contradicting himself. Why would that be? Answer, because this isn't a biblical teaching. This is not sound doctrine. This is just nonsense. But there will be moments in your life where God calls you to something that you're like, okay, this is not comfortable. This is not, this is not in my comfort zone. Like, like this is dangerous. This is risky. And in that moment, you can't play it safe. In that moment, you need to muster up the courage to do whatever it is that God needs you to do. In that movie, um, We Bought a Zoo, the, the father has lived his life by a certain motto. It, it's something that his older brother taught him when he was young. His older brother um, said to him way long years ago, he said, you only have to be courageous for 20 seconds. Live by that. You only have to be courageous for 20 seconds. The idea being, like, you don't have to go around being this fearless superhero all the time and, you know, this daredevil. No, like, like, live your life. But there will be moments that require you to be courageous. And, and when that moment comes, just step up. And, and just for 20 seconds, if you could just muster up 20 seconds of courage, then you will be able to do what's required in that moment. You- oh, such sage advice. Weird that it's not in the Bible. You only have to be courageous for 20 seconds. And this guy, now an adult, realizes every good thing in his life came because he lived out that philosophy. So he met his wife. He, he was walking down the street one day, uh, walking past a restaurant, this beautiful lady sitting at a table. He looks at her and he thinks, man, I'd love to go up and have a conversation with her, but <laughs> I'm, not that kind of, I'm not the kind of guy who walks up to beautiful strangers and starts talking to them. And he walks past and then he thinks... I could be for 20 seconds. And he walks in and he must, he's like, I'm just going to do this for 20 seconds. And it ends up leading to, to marrying this woman. And, and he realized every good thing in his life came because 20 seconds. I can do this for 20 seconds. And now he's trying to teach the same thing, the same motto to his kids. At one point, he tells his son, he says, he says, son, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of courage. Literally, 20 seconds of insane bravery. And I promise you something great will come out of it. God, what do you need me to do today? What do you need me to do in this moment? Whatever it is, I'll do it. Often ordinary, uneventful, quiet, faithfulness kind of things. But there will be times... There will be moments when what's required of you will take 20 seconds of insane bravery. In this series, one of the things we're doing is we're introducing you each week to a, to a renegade kind of person. Um, and, and what we're doing is uh, looking at people from more modern times. We, we- this is where he begins his apologetic 
for not teaching you from the Bible? We look at people in the Bible all the time, and we're still doing that in the series. But when you look at people in the Bible, it's like, man, how many thousands of years ago was that? And- yeah, you know. So, yeah, I mean, how those people have been you know, in the grave for like thousands of years. How relevant would they be? They're in the Bible. It's just, you know, they don't seem like us. And so we thought, well, let's look at some people since the Bible to see normal people do this. They were normal people too, but like people outside the Bible, people like us. And, and today I want, to, um, I want to tell you about Rosa Parks. Not in the Bible. Now, granted, she was a brave lady. I mean, thank God for somebody like Rosa Parks. But the, the job of the pastor is to preach the word not come up with an apologetic for not teaching the word of god and then tell rosa parks story i don't think she would she would think that this is the right thing to be doing in church um it's interesting people who knew rosa parks if you read about her people who knew her well described her with words like quiet gentle unassuming soft spoken sweet small in stature. We're not talking about somebody who is like, you know, big and bold and brave. Uh, We are talking about somebody who really loved God. This was a lady who committed her life to following Jesus. One of the things uh, that she did was um, she volunteered for the NAACP because she felt like God called her to that. And, um, you know, they were working to get equal rights for African-Americans and she wanted to be a part of making that happen. And, um, now, she was not on, like, the front lines of the battle. Again, not, we're not talking about a bold, brave woman. Uh, what she did is, after work, her job was she ironed clothes all day long. Montgomery Fair Department Store went in the morning, stood over an ironing board all day long. And after work, she would take a bus to the NAACP office where she would volunteer. Uh, she had two roles uh, where she volunteered. Um, one, she kept track of membership payments. And two, she went and read to little kids in the neighborhood. Again, quiet, gentle, unassuming, soft-spoken, sweet. Well, uh, one day after work, she got in the bus, like always, December 1st, 1955, and she sat in the first row of the colored section. And um, as the bus continued to fill up with people, the bus driver ordered her to move to the back of the bus. And that was the moment. That was the moment that required courage. And in that moment, this quiet, gentle, unassuming, gentle, soft-spoken, sweet woman said one word. She said, no. The bus driver told her that if she didn't move, she would be arrested. And Rosa Parks said, You may do that. The whole interaction probably took 20 seconds. And that one word, no, it ignited one of the most important civil rights movements of the 20th century. It helped America to find its better self. And all it took was 20 seconds of insane bravery. And you and I, we will have moments like that as well. We'll have lots of our days filled with 
just quiet acts of faithfulness, just serving in inconspicuous ways within our comfort zone. But there will be moments, and you'll know when it arrives, that when you just need to step up and you need to have the insane bravery to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do, whatever it is that faith requires. Now, I think the question is, man, where do you get that? Where, where do you get that courage, that insane bravery? Well, well you, you get it from God. You get it from God. You know, it's interesting. All those stories in the Bible, Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua, all those stories, um, when God calls someone to a, an adventure, when God calls something, like someone to, to something that's daunting and difficult and daring and beyond themselves, God always makes a promise. And, and the promise that God makes to those people is, he says, I will be with you. So you go do this, but no, I will be with you. And that changes everything, doesn't it? Like, like think about it. That, that changes everything. You know what it's like? It's like being out in the playground and, and like the big bully challenges you to a fight and it's a fight you know you cannot win. But then you realize that you have a bigger bully standing right behind you who's on your side. And so you realize, I can't lose, right? It changes everything having this guy standing behind you. And when God says, go do this, and you're like, how how could I do that? But then God says, well, I will be with you. It's like, oh, that changes everything. That's what gives you the inspiration, the, the, the ability to have that courage to step up in faith. I love the way the, the Bible talks about this in the book of Romans. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, put the verse on the screen again. Hey, um, let me just mention, we give out Bibles for free at the Velcro bar. And so if you don't have a Bible, maybe you're like, I used to have one. I don't know where it went. Or maybe you have a Bible, but um, when, you, when you look at it, it's hard to read because it's filled with these and thous. It sounds like it was written by William Shakespeare. And you're like, I don't even get this thing. The reason it sounds that way is because it was translated hundreds of years ago. And that's how they talked back then. And since then, they've translated the Bible into English uh, in more modern vernacular, that, the way we talk. And um, if you'd like a Bible like that, we'd give you one for free, no catch, no cost, no nothing. So stop by, grab a Bible. Velcro Bar is also just our connecting place if you have questions or want to sign up for anything. So um, in Romans 8, there's this idea that, hey, God calls us to big and daring things, but he's with us and that changes everything. And so uh, really that's Romans 8. God calls us to big and daring things, but he's with us. Well, let's read. Romans 8, by the way, begins with an entire discourse that Paul's part, you know, doing in, in Romans 7. Paul kind of putting the finishing touches on his discourse from Romans 7, talking about the Christian life, where even though we're new creations in Christ, we still struggle with our sinful nature. And he describes it as the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do, the things he doesn't want to do, he keeps on doing. And he asks the question, who's going to save me from this body of death? Okay, But then he goes on to conclude in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh, well, that's death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of the sin, of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised uh, Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, are we debtors? Well, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. Yeah, it doesn't seem anything, I don't see anything here in Romans 8 about being an adventurer and God being with us through our adventures. Let me back that up so you can hear what he claims this uh, chapter of Romans is about. It's our connecting place if you have questions or want to sign up for anything. So, um, in Romans 8, there's this idea that, hey, God calls us to big and daring things, but he's with us and that changes everything. And so... Uh, Didn't see that. Uh, let's look at it, starting in verse 31. Mm, verse 31. Maybe I need to go down. Okay, so God's going to be with us with big, daring things. So... 831, let's go all the way down. So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, okay, we've got to back it up and get some context here. All right, so likewise, the Spirit... Well, let me just continue where I left off, okay? Um, 812, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if you live if you by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For if, if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Are revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, well, that's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows 
what is the, the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might uh, be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So then who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Huh. I've read all the way to verse 37. I didn't see anything in Romans chapter 8 in the early portion or in the middle portion about the the big ideas that that, uh, God's called us to adventure. Let me back it up again. Listen to what he says this passage is about. It's our connecting place. We have questions or want to sign up for anything. So um, in Romans 8, there's this idea that, hey, God calls us to big and daring things, but he's with us and that changes everything. Yeah, I didn't see that. So uh, let's look at it starting in verse 31. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? To the fact that God's calling us to big and daring things, that's not what the passage says at all. I just read almost all of chapter 8. You're not telling the truth about what this passage teaches. If God is for us, so he's like, if God has promised you, he'll be with you. If God's standing behind you on the playground... And he says, who can be against us? The idea is, who cares? (laughs) Who cares how big the adventure? Who cares how big the risk? Who cares how big the bully if you have a bigger God with you? So it says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So the idea there, by the way, is kind of like, you know, you have God, God the Father standing behind you, and then he's like, oh yeah, by the way, Jesus is also back there too. Like, they're both on your side, okay? Verse 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution? Now notice... He's quoting these passages as if the ones preceding it tell us about God's calling us to adventure. But don't worry, God's behind you like, you know, your big brother on, on, you know, the playground. Or famine or nakedness. I think that one's weird, by the way. How did that get in there? Or or danger? It It got in there because this isn't talking about adventure. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something completely different. That's why that's in there. It's talking about persecution, not adventure. Lord, as it is written, for your sake, we face death 
all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So he's like, we have this daring, daunting, difficult task in front of us all day long. And people would look at us and go, no, this is talking about persecution. Those who are going to give the ultimate witness uh, regarding Christ by literally laying down their own lives rather than, than disown Jesus. That's what this is talking about. Dead meat. <laughs> Look at the bully. He's fa- he can't do this. Like, you're in trouble. But then check this out. Verse 37, he says, no, no. And all these things, all these adventures, all these risks, uh, you know, fighting these bullies, he says, and all these things, we are more. Notice he was engaging in eisegesis. He was sticking words in there that are not in the text. They're not implied in that text. They're not taught in that text. That's not what this text is about. They conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's like, listen, whatever it is that you need to do, it's not just that you're going to win. You can be more than a conqueror if you have God with you. And nothing can separate you from God and his love. And, and so really, whatever it is that you have to lose, it doesn't really matter. It may feel like it really matters, but it doesn't really matter because when you go through it, whatever you've lost, whatever you struggled with, you still have the love of God. And that's what you really need. And that's what gives us the courage to step up and do whatever faith requires because we know that God is with us and nothing can separate us from the love of God, the protection of God, the provision of God. And so I need to ask you this. What is it that God is calling you to? And God still does this. So what is God calling you to? Now, now it is possible that, that what he's calling you to is a quiet act of faithfulness, uh, you know, to read the little kids in your neighborhood, nothing outside your comfort zone. But it's also very possible that what God is calling you to is something that will require 20 seconds of insane Bravery, You know, God, what do you need me to do today? What do you need me to do in this moment? Whatever it is, I'll do it. And so maybe for you, um, maybe for you, what you need to do is you need to, to, to volunteer to serve in a new way. Maybe um, the, the truth is that your life has been very inward focused. You, know, you are living for yourself. For mm. So at the end of this, what is this really a pitch for people to volunteer at the Verve? Hmm. Your betterment for, you know, for your improvement, for your money, for you. And, and God's like, turn your life inside out, man. Point your life out and serve some other people so that you can actually make a difference with your life. Find a, find a way to serve so that I can use your life in a big way to make a difference in this world. Next week, um, we're going to do a, a ministry fair, kind of a volunteer expo out in the lobby after the service. It's kind of almost like a volunteer buffet where you can just look at all the different places where you can serve here at Verve and, and say, I didn't know we had that one. And, oh, that one's actually. Yeah, this is almost as disgusting as what Rod Parsley did. That's really how I feel about this.
actually kind of interesting. What's that about? And, and I want to encourage you to next week, if you're not serving or maybe you're serving, but you think, man, there's probably a different way or a bigger way that I can serve um, to, to really spend some time looking at those and, and sign up to try out a new way of serving. Because everybody knows that working the parking lot as a church volunteer, that's a major adventure that God is calling us all to do. Yeah. Maybe for others of you, what God's calling you to is a new career path. And you've actually known it for quite a while. Like that you are in the wrong job. You're not where you need to be. But fear has held you back from making the changes. Because what might happen? And what if this? And, and, and what you need to do is you must need to muster up that, that 20 seconds of courage to do what you know you need to do. For others, um, maybe God's calling you to generosity. Because you have stuff, but but you hold it with like an iron grip. And God's like, loosen your grip and be generous with with God or maybe with a person in need. For others of you, maybe maybe it's that, um, that you have a secret sin. It's a sin that has beset you. It has dragged you down for a long time. And part of the power it has over you, part of its allure is that no one knows. No one knows. And what you need to do is you need to muster up 20 seconds of courage to sit down with a trusted friend and tell them and ask them for help. Or maybe, maybe what you need to do is, um, is a conversation regarding someone else's sin. Maybe you have a friend, maybe a close friend, and, and you've seen something in their life, and you know what it's doing to their life. And, and you felt like you should say something, but you're, you're just kind of filled with apprehension about that conversation. But if you care about your friend, it's the right thing to do. And so you need to go in love and, and speak truth into their life. And, and you need to ask God, help me to have the, the 20 seconds of insane bravery I will need to start that conversation. Weird having him say you need to speak truth into someone's life when this entire sermon is based on, well, twisted scripture and lies. Or it could be that the conversation you need to have is with your spouse. Because maybe your, your marriage has been drifting for quite a while and it's not drifting in the right direction. And it's now not where it needs to be at all. And, and you both recognize it, but you never talk about it. It's never addressed, and, and so it just continues to drift in the wrong direction. And, and what you need to do is sit down and talk it out and, and say, let's look honestly at where we're at, and, and let's try to figure out the path to get where we need to be. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, what you need to do is give your life to God. You need to say yes to the invitation he's made to you to have a relationship with him. Say yes to what Jesus... Yeah, um, this doesn't make any sense. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that this is how somebody becomes a Christian, by giving their life to God. The gospel, the good news, is that Christ died for our sins. He gave his life for us. Everything in this sermon is wrong and backwards and upside down. This is not Christian. This isn't biblical teaching. This is something completely different. Did on the cross for you, maybe you need to get baptized. Um, we're doing baptisms in about 
10 minutes, 15 minutes out back. And we've got several people getting baptized today. Ba- baptism is when a person is lowered underwater and then raised out of water. And it's this picture, the symbolism is that it's a person who's going into a grave and then coming out of the grave. And the idea is that this person is kind of leaving their old life behind and starting a new life with God. A new life. Well, it's weird because Romans 6 says that in our baptisms we're buried with Christ and we're raised with Christ. For God. And some of you may not be ready for that. You may be like, dude, I am new. I'm just, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. I don't know what's going on. But some of you are ready for it. You've been coming for a while, but you've never taken that step. Maybe you've gone to church growing up and, and, and you know this stuff. You believe it's true, but you've never said yes. You've never made it your own. And you need to do that. And maybe what's held you back is fear. What will people think of me? What will people say? But what, would, what will God do with my life? If I really give my life to God, what's that going to look like? But you know it's the right thing to do. And so maybe today, maybe in your clothes, maybe you didn't come prepared, you don't have a bathing suit. In your clothes, you're going to get wet and you're going to go home soaking wet because you know that what you need to do is get baptized. And so you're going to muster up 20 seconds of insane bravery and do it. Listen, whatever it is that God is calling you to, listen, no more apathy. No more living in the kingdom of boredom. No more whatever. From today on, I would like to declare you all modern day adventurers. Because you can't play it safe and please God. And that's the end of the sermon. You can't play it safe. And please God. So in other words, it's up to you to please God. And the only way you can do that is by being an adventurer. That's not the gospel. That's a different gospel, by the way. And that's a gospel of works, not the gospel of grace. That is a gospel of works by adventure, not the free gift of salvation won by Christ on the cross. Completely false gospel, false doctrine, based on twisted scripture, and it's it's just absolutely unbelievable. And here's the fun part. This is not an out-of-the-box sermon. This is standard fare in practically every seeker-driven church, if you can call it that, in the country and around the world. Sad. Absolutely sad and tragic. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. And the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>